God is doing breakthrough all across our church family. Many of you have experienced breakthrough in many different ways, and isn't it good uh, to hear and see uh, how God is at work among us? Uh, I want to welcome you to week number two of our breakthrough journey, and today we're going to be talking about serving, breakthroughs and serving. And our question is, how can we each break through to a life of service? You know, one of our convictions as a church is that God has called each one of us to serve. We serve God, we serve our church family, we serve the world. This is part of the call uh, of a Christian, the call of following Jesus Christ. And so we believe that that is the way it should be, that serving is part of the DNA of our Southwinds family. I kind of have a question to frame this. It's a really easy question, and I want you to raise your hands. Who wants to be like Jesus? All right, if you don't raise your hand, okay, <laughs> we know some things, but uh, <laughs> we all want to be like Jesus. Well, what is Jesus like? What was he like? Here's a verse, Mark 10, 45, that tells us. It says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, to be true followers of Jesus, who is the greatest servant of all, we must be servants. Amen. Serving should be a lifestyle. Serving should be something that we learn to do reflexively, almost unconsciously. It is so very much a part of us. Serving should be an indication of our character, who we are. People should look at us and people should think, servants. Serving is so important that I would say one of the chief things that would keep us as a church from experiencing the kind of breakthrough that God desires for us would be an unwillingness on our part to serve. It would be when we decide to make our lives about something else. And we need to confront this temptation because it is so easy for us, even as people saved, even as people loved by the greatest servant of all, it is so easy to give in to the temptation to think that life is about us to seek our own comfort, to, to think that church is about meeting my needs, not the needs of others. But an unwillingness to serve will keep us from doing what God has called us to do, will keep us from reaching our region for Jesus. It will keep us from reaching and from influencing the next generation. Now, I believe that all of us want our lives to count. We all want, I think, to give our lives to something larger than we are. We want to live lives of significance. We want to do something with our lives that will live past us, that will ripple out into eternity. Some of you have been sitting here for a few moments wondering about these things that are up on the stage. You maybe noticed a couple things on the stage that aren't usually there, right? I'll be telling you what they, what they are in the message this morning. The first thing I want to mention is this ladder right here. This ladder represents one of two ways that you can do life. And it can stand for what we might call the ladder of success. And our culture has a lot of ladders like this. They're all built on the promise that if you climb the ladder and if you make it to the top of the ladder, that's where the good stuff is. If you devote your life to climbing the ladder, then you will achieve status or a success or significance, and if you want to, you can devote your entire life to the ladder. And lots of people do. You can be a ladder climber. 
A few years ago, a pastor in Southern California was having a conversation, eating lunch with a businessman at his church, and this was a very successful guy. He was about 50 years old, and he'd been involved in real estate development. He had a knack, a real gift for recognizing opportunities and exploiting opportunities. He was a guy who knew how to climb a ladder, and he had climbed that ladder very well. And this man told his pastor that when he was starting out in business, he would often read profiles in the Wall Street Journal or Forbes or some other magazine, profiles of successful entrepreneurs and CEOs who were higher up the ladder than he was. And he said, those stories would always fuel my drive and motivate me to work a little harder and climb a little faster. And then something happened to him one day. Those profiles that he had been reading were always including the ages of the people being profiled. And up to this point, everyone who got profiled was older than he was. And he would tell himself when he got to be their age, he would be past them. He would climb past where they were on the ladder. But then one day he was reading about someone who was real successful and who had climbed the ladder faster and higher than he had. Only this guy was younger. And he said, I felt this little pain inside. And he realized that as long as the story was about someone older, he would tell himself that he would outclimb them. But now there's someone on a faster track than his. And every year, he would read more stories about more younger guys who had climbed higher, and he got a little depressed every time he read one. Because have you noticed when you're on the ladder, it's not enough that you win Everyone else on the ladder has to lose. And you know what he did? He just stopped reading the stories. (laughs) That was his pain management approach. But the truth was the ladder was not good to him. His marriage was on life support. His kids' lives were a mess because they did not see much of their dad. He went to church. He sat in the same spot every week. But nobody really knew him. He wasn't in a life group. He never developed relationships. He never poured himself out in serving other people in any way. He was not about to commit himself to doing life and doing ministry with some other people because that would take away his time and his energy, and he wanted to save all of that for the latter. Truth was, the latter was his family. Truth was, the latter was his God. When he was younger, he said every time he reached a new rung, he would feel this little burst of gratification, but it never lasted. Because when you're on the ladder, you always have to keep climbing. You always have to keep climbing to get that good feeling. And he found, as people always find, that as he got older, the rungs got further apart. (laughs) And the ladder got more crowded. And although he was a really smart guy, he could not just bring himself to get off the ladder because he was afraid. And it was kind of an odd thing because this guy who would take amazing risks, this guy who had this reputation for being quite fearless, was afraid to get off the ladder. He was convinced that if he just climbed high enough, somewhere, somewhere up there would be something he could not live without. And he hadn't gotten to that yet, but he was still searching. He was still climbing. You know, we have a lot of ladders in the Bay Area, don't we? And once you get on a ladder, it's hard to get off. And as long as someone is higher up on the ladder than you are, you feel discontented, and so you keep climbing. And have you ever noticed when you're on the ladder, you don't look much at the people below you because when you're climbing the ladder, you look up. Now, 
I know what some of you are thinking right now. This doesn't apply to me, Mike. (laughs) I'm not one of those corporate type people. I'm not trying to climb a ladder. I don't do that. Maybe, maybe not. But the reality is there are a lot of different kinds of ladders. And a ladder ultimately is whatever you're aiming your life at. It may be for you not accomplishment and achievement, but you just pursuing as much comfort as you can find. It may be for you about a hobby that's turned into a passion that is dominating your life. It's just really about what you care about the most. It may be for you, your kids, and you feel entirely justified in that. You want a certain kind of life for them, and you'll do anything to make that happen. It may be for you, the retirement you're planning to have when you can finally have all the me time you cannot have now. And that is really the problem with any ladder. Ladders are pretty much always about me, right? Ladders are not about God. Ladders are not about God's kingdom. Ladders are certainly not about the people in the world that God created and loves so much. Some of us today, I believe, need a breakthrough. We need to break out of a self-centered life. We need to break through to a life of service. So here's the question today, how? How can I break out of a self-centered life? How can I break through to a life of service? And we're going to look today at one of the most profound passages in the Bible. It's in the book of Philippians. You want to get your Bible open to Philippians or get your device out and and scroll your way there. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be going through verses 3 through 11. Philippians 2 verses 3 through 11. And I want to begin with the first two verses because Paul starts these verses with a real straightforward command. And this is what he says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, I hope you noticed it, but if you didn't, let me point it out. This is a command. What do you do, what are you supposed to do anyway with commands? You're supposed to obey them. You're supposed to keep them. And the command is put others first. The command is serve. And so the question then becomes, well, how do I do that? How do I make that reality in my life? And I think what we'll see is that Paul's answer to how comes in verses 5 through 11. And let me give you a heading to put over the things we're going to look at. There's four breakthroughs we're going to talk about, but here's the heading that goes over all of those four. Live like Jesus. You want to know how? Be like Jesus. What do I do? Serve like Jesus. In other words, it is always all about Jesus. Does that make sense? I'm going to make sure that we're tracking with this here. Four ways I break through to a life of service. How does this happen? Okay, number one, write this down. It happens when I think like Jesus. You see, when it comes to ladder climbing, how you think means everything. And to truly break through to a life of service, you have to think like Jesus. And that is exactly what Paul tells us. Look at verse 5. 
he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, the word that the NIV translates attitude literally means think. If you have the King James Version, it translates it this way. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so what Paul was doing is telling his readers, think like Jesus. You see, how we think always and inevitably leads to how we live. That's what Paul's trying to get across to us. And his words in verse 5 really are the point of the passage. If you want to know true life, you got to live like Jesus. And to live like Jesus, you have to what? Think like Jesus. Now, how does this begin to take place in our lives? I don't have a lot of time to unpack this, but let me just say it this way. It begins first as we take in his word. As we read God's word. We learn how Jesus lived. We learn how Jesus thinks. And this is why the Bible, reading the Bible, is so very essential because God changes our minds through his word. And this is, quite frankly, why many of us don't think like Jesus and therefore don't live like Jesus. Because we don't read his word. We don't read his word. It's kind of an interesting thing. I don't have this in my notes, but it occurs to me from time to time when I'm talking. So much of the Bible is so very simple, isn't it? It's not real complicated. A lot of this stuff, you don't need me. I shouldn't say this because I need my job, but (laughs) you don't need me to explain it. But somehow we just miss it. Somehow we keep climbing the ladder. And when we're climbing the ladder, if you notice, we don't spend a lot of time in God's word. We have to do this. We have to do this to think like Jesus. That's where it begins. And that's really what the rest of this passage is about. What does it mean to think like Jesus? When you think like Jesus, how do you live? The next three things that we're going to see, rest of this message, is our, our living flows from our thinking. And so the second breakthrough in the life of service is I serve like Jesus. I begin to do the things he did. And the words that follow really are some of the most beautiful and the most profound words in all of the New Testament. This is verses 6 and 7. It says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now this passage, these verses actually contain, I think, some of the greatest, most profound insights into the nature of God that you'll ever see. And I want to point out something that comes from a New Testament professor, uh, used to be at Wheaton College, his name is Gerald Hawthorne, and he's written an outstanding commentary on Philippians. But to get this insight, this, this truth, this principle, we have to have a little lesson in grammar. Who's excited about doing a little grammar work on Sunday morning? Not too many. I see those hands. God bless you if you raise your hands. But if you don't want to have a grammar lesson this morning, too bad, because we're going to have it anyway. But in this passage, there is a participle. It is the word being. Do you see that word? It says Jesus being in very nature God. And translating this participle is actually key to understanding this passage. And so we need to take a minute here and try to answer the question, what's a participle? And you probably remember from English class, uh, But if you don't, a participle is an ing verb. That's just the easiest way to remember it. It's sometimes called a verbal adjective, like the crying baby or the growing boy. And in verse 6, we run into what is called in Greek a 
circumstantial participle. And this is a kind of participle very common in the New Testament that can be translated in about nine different ways depending on the context or depending on the circumstance. It has different shades of meaning. So let me give you some examples. You can see them on this next slide. It it could be a causal circumstantial participle. Therefore, it would be something like because. If it could be concessive, which means you would say, although something is the case, although, you know, because the baby was crying, using that example, or, or because or although the baby is crying, it might be temporal while the baby is crying. It might be instrumental by means of. It might be a participle of purpose. It has the idea of in order to. And so I want to give you a couple of examples to make sure you understand what I'm talking about here. And we're going to use baseball since we're in the playoffs right now, okay? For example, if the literal statement was this, being a Yankees fan, I predict my team will win the World Series. Okay, so we have that participle. And if it says blank a Yankees fan, I predict my team will win the World Series it sounds kind of bad, so don't go there with that one. But um, how would we translate? How would we translate that participle? Well, if you're a baseball fan, you know the Yankees won 103 games this year. You know they've won 27 World Series, far more than any team. This is why most baseball fans hate the Yankees, right? But with that in mind, Amen. I I hear that. I hear that. <laughs> Just think of those five options, because, although, while, by means of, in order to. What would you use most likely to fill in the blank? You would use probably the word because. Because I'm a Yankees fan, I predict my team would win the World Series. You know, pretty good odds. Better odds than any other team. So let me give you another example by way of contrast, and it's this. Being a Dodgers fan, I predict my team will win the World Series. I would apologize for that, but then I would be lying, and so I'm just not going to. I, and I just have to tell you, I'm so very happy that they lost this week. But let's stick to the point. Let's skip down to the blank again. You know, blank, a Dodgers fan. Well, it would be although I'm a Dodgers fan, I predict that my team would win the World Series. See, it hasn't happened now in 31 years, which is a lot more years than the last time the Giants won their third and their second and their first and I will be honest with you as your pastor I am praying fervently and passionately that it will never happen before Jesus comes (laughs) so this is actually called a concessive use of the circumstantial participle and I think you can see that's a circumstantial participle what it means depends on the contents the circumstance and so guess get back to the Bible uh Paul says, Jesus, being in very nature God, became a servant. Now, how would you translate that? Well, you could translate it as concessive. In that case, you would say, Jesus, although he was God, and in fact, that is the way the NIV translates it, and from a human standpoint, that's the place we naturally go. It makes sense. That's the way we think about it. I mean, if I'm God, I don't have to serve anybody. I mean, that's the good thing about being God, right? You're in charge. That's the way we would be if we were God. But Dr. Hawthorne said, if you understand the context, if you understand the flow of Paul's argument and what he's saying about God, it is actually precisely the opposite. In other words, this ought to be translated, your attitude should be the same. Ask Christ Jesus, who, because 
He was in very nature God precisely because he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He became a servant. Jesus came as a servant, not in spite of the fact that he was God, but because he was God. And that means it is the nature of our God to serve. I mean, isn't that unbelievable when you stop to think about it? I mean, this is God, the creator of the universe. Jesus came, didn't he? The Bible tells us to reveal the Father, to show us who the Father really was. Well, what did he do? When he came to earth, Jesus, as God himself coming to earth, came as the most humble person who ever lived. And when Jesus came in the form of a servant, that means he wasn't disguising who God is. He was revealing who God is. And this whole passage is so very different from the kinds of profiles you're going to read about in the Wall Street Journal or Forbes or whatever. It is not, not the story of someone climbing the ladder. It is the story of someone coming down. And in God's eyes, that is what is truly great. So Paul starts at the very beginning. Jesus is in very nature God. Paul says, uh, this is very strong language, very nature means God in his essential essence and being. Jesus is God. Jesus is not a God. Jesus is not one of many gods. He is God. He's at the top. See, I'm thinking about it like this. You know, if the universe were to have an org chart, <laughs> um, where would you rank that job title of God? Pretty high up there, right? <laughs> uh, you, you hardly can get a promotion when you start like that. That's the top of the ladder. But Paul is saying Jesus gave it all up. He does not consider his deity something to be held on to. He is willing to give up the advantages of deity to become a man. And so he comes down the ladder, and so he becomes a servant. But you know, even the angels in heaven are servants, and so he goes lower still. He becomes a human being. He takes on flesh and blood with all of our limitations. Jesus does this. We call this the doctrine of the incarnation. And the doctrine of the incarnation is that God comes down the ladder. But even on a human level, some people live as kings or celebrities. And so he takes another demotion and he humbles himself further. He's born in a stable to a penniless peasant father and mother. He's a peasant kid. He's born as a, parent, a peasant, but that is not even low enough. There are lots of peasants in our world. And so Jesus, God's son, very nature God, keeps going down, 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 down. And the next thing he does is sacrifice. And that is also what we must do to get off the world's ladder and to get on the only ladder that ever brings real lasting joy. Number three, if I'm going to break through to service, I need to sacrifice like Jesus. Paul says Jesus went all the way down the ladder, all the way down to death. Verse eight, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He became obedient to death, Paul says. In other words, his ultimate task was not some glorious achievement, not something that any person would ever dream of. There is nothing glamorous about death. But his demotion doesn't stop there. There's one rung lower. It's even death on a cross. 
And we miss out on this, I think, a lot these days. We don't understand what that meant in Jesus' day because when you hit death on a cross, you hit the bottom. Among Jesus' people, the law of the Old Testament said, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. And the fate of dying on a cross in first century, uh, the, the first century world was abhorred above all other fates. This was something that stunned the world back then, and it still does, because the cross is about one who went down the ladder as far down as he could go, not in spite of the fact that he was God, but precisely because he was God. And that brings us to this. You see, the problem with spending your life climbing the ladder is that you end up going right past Jesus as he heads down. You're going in an opposite direction from him. It turns out that serving sacrificial love is the most godlike thing that a human being can do. And so Jesus gathers this little community of people around him. He begins to train them and tell them what it is to live in the kingdom, what life in the kingdom is like. But they have a hard time with this teaching because they are naturally climbers. In fact, it's an interesting thing that we read in the gospel several times how these people closest to Jesus would get in arguments about a particular thing. You remember what they would argue about? They would argue about who's the number one disciple. Have you ever had that discussion in your small group? You probably haven't had that discussion, but I'm going to venture, and I'm going to kind of lay a bet out there, not that anybody's going to take me up on it, but I'm pretty confident in some small groups, not yours probably, but some other small groups, someone in that group has looked around the room, and they thought, I'm probably the number one disciple in here. (laughs) So don't get too cocky about those dumb disciples who are always arguing about who's the greatest, right? You know, uh, Luke twenty two twenty four 24 says, also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. I mean, can you imagine what they're saying? Well, I'm the greatest. No, you're not the greatest. I'm the greatest. You guys, neither one of you are the greatest. I'm the greatest. I mean, does nobody get what's happening here? It's so counter to Jesus and yet it comes so naturally to us. Anybody um, remember an athlete, this is going back a few years, whose tagline was, I am the greatest? Muhammad Ali, right? He, and he used to tell this story about himself. Maybe you heard it. One time he was on a plane, and um, everyone was supposed to buckle up their seatbelts, but for whatever reason, you know, he didn't want to do it. And so the flight attendant came by and saw him there and said, Sir, you have to put on your seatbelt. And Muhammad Ali, he said, well, I'm Superman, and Superman don't need no seatbelt. And this flight attendant said to him, well, Superman don't need no airplane. (laughs) And they used to have this argument, the disciples of Jesus, and he would work on it with them. And it seemed, I guess, at one point that the lecture method, just teaching them principles, wasn't getting anywhere. And so one day Jesus decided to paint a picture for them. You know this picture. It connected to the most menial task that you could have in that day, which was to be a washer of feet, to wash someone else's feet. And we do that today, and it just brings tears to our eyes, and it's it's so moving and so meaningful 
and we think we're doing something heroic, washing people's feet, you know, mostly people who've taken a bath every day and washed their feet every day. It wasn't like that back then. Because they walked around in sandals or barefoot, and it was dirty. But on top of that, animals were everywhere, and animals do what animals do. And that stuff that they do ends up on the ground. And do I have to keep going on this? You know what I'm talking about right here? And and so (laughs) that means that feet were very foul. And therefore, to have to wash feet was at the bottom of the ladder work. And so on the night before Jesus was to be betrayed to go to the cross, they're all gathered together. They're about to have dinner. And maybe they were arguing among themselves because you were supposed to wash feet before you ate, but nobody was done this. Maybe they were wondering, arguing, who was supposed to get the foot washer? Who was supposed to take care of this? Whose job is it to find somebody to come in here and wash our feet? And Jesus gets up. Jesus, being in very nature God, and he takes the towel And God humbles himself, and God does the work of a slave. Jesus gets a towel and a basin of water precisely because he was in very nature God. And Jesus gets down on his knees, being in very nature God, and he goes up to Peter. And Peter says, you can't do this. No way, Jesus. But Jesus says, yes, it is necessary. And then Jesus, precisely because he is God, takes those dirty, unclean feet with his hands, washes them, dries them off, and he goes from one disciple to another disciple to another disciple. These guys who were ladder climbers, just like you and me. And then when he's done, do you remember what he said to them? You can study it for yourself in John 13, verses 12 to 17. Let me read these words. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for this is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent to him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus started what might be called the fellowship of the Tao. (laughs) An alternative community in a world of ladder climbers where people will begin to put towels on their arm and look around and ask, can I help? Can I serve? And in this community that Jesus started, there was to be no climbing, there was to be no comparison, no competition, just a bunch of foot washers. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it's like the hardest thing in the world to turn ladder climbers into towel bearers. I think if you're honest with yourself, you'll realize I need to ask God a lot for help on this because truth is, we all kind of live in Ladderville, right? That's just the way it is. So I just want to ask you, are you aware of a sacrifice or a kind of service that God has been asking you to do and you kind of know he's been asking you to do it, but you've been saying no? Is the Holy Spirit bringing anything to your mind already? And you really know this is what I'm supposed to do. I mean, where have you been excusing yourself from sacrifice? 
Where have you been saying, oh, my life is too busy? I have to commute long hours every day. My life is too hard. Where have you been saying that? Where have you been saying, you know, what I really need is some me time? Where have you been saying someone else will take care of it? See, here's the thing about sacrifice. Sacrifice is hard, right? I mean, it wouldn't be sacrifice if it wasn't hard. And so Jesus calls us, if we're going to be like him, to make sacrifices. There's one more thing to be like Jesus. Number four, see, I'm going to break through to a life of service when I glorify God like Jesus. Verses 9 through 11 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it is a strange thing. But towel-bearing ends up bringing more joy to our lives than ladder climbing does. Jesus, who went down the ladder to its lowest rung, gets exalted by God to the highest place. And I want to say, some of you may be missing joy in your life right now, and the reason right now is right here. You're not humbling yourselves. You're not serving. Jesus says, glorify God by loving the people God created. That's where the joy is to be found. So the question is, will you humble yourself? Paul says, day is coming. Day is coming when everyone is coming down off the ladder. There's not going to be any more ladders one day. Every knee, he says, will touch the ground. Every tongue will confess. Can you imagine what that day will be like? One day, Donald Trump's knee will touch the ground. One day, Xi Jinping's knee will touch the ground. One day, Vladimir Putin's knee will touch the ground. One day, Jeff Bezos' knee, Bill Gates' knee will touch the ground. One day, Beyonce's knee, Jay-Z's knee is going to touch the ground. Taylor Swift's knees touch the ground. From what I've heard, I hope it's true, Kanye West's knee may have already touched the ground. Barack Obama and George Bush and Oprah and Rush Limbaugh and Ellen's knees all going to touch the ground. Tom Brady's knee, Steph Curry's knee. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Every tongue will confess that the one who humbled himself to the lowest place has now been exalted to the highest place given the highest name, the name above every name. And you see, it's not just Jesus who finds that serving is the path to joy. Did you hear those words Jesus spoke in that passage we read from John 17? He said, now that you know these things, now that you've heard it, now that you've seen it, you are blessed, you are fortunate, you are happy if you do the same thing. That's where the joy is to be found. See, here's the question, friends. What does God want to do through Southwinds? How does God want to break through in this place? I am convinced that one crucial area is this area of service. I think he wants us to be a community where ladder climbers get turned into towel bearers. That's what I think. And that's actually where this bench comes in. 
This bench for us this morning is going to be a picture of service. This is actually an actual City of Tracy sidewalk bench. Some of you might recognize it if you look closely. It will be installed uh, later on today because we have asked how we can serve our city. And one of the things that's come out is that there are like 120 benches on major streets all through our community that are in need of repair. And so we've started this process. And today, as part of our Breakthrough Spiritual Initiative, we're going to be launching this project where we, over a period of time, as long as it takes us, are going to rehab, restore, repair, do whatever's needed to be done to get these benches back to the place they need to be. We have 64 people who have signed up for this first wave from our life groups. They're going to be going out this afternoon. Maybe if you're driving around, you're going to see some of them wearing Southwind's T-shirts, fixing the benches of Tracy. Keep your eyes open for green benches because that's going to be the sign that we've been on the job. Okay, That's the color they're going to be now. That's what the city wants. City's giving us uh, resources to do this. We're supplying the labor. We're making it happen. And so whenever you see a green bench like this, you can know Southwinds has been there. And maybe some of you are going to be part of this. And if you're not, you're going to notice that out in the courtyard under the Vince gazebo, there are going to be bins with tools and supplies, everything that's needed. And groups are going to take those out. And groups are going to uh, repair these benches today. And that's just something that we're doing. Now, some of you are saying, can I do that? Well, for planning purposes, we need to do assigned benches ahead of time to people. Um, and so... We're not asking people particularly to join in today, although if you know a group that's going out and they'll let you come with them, feel free to do that. But maybe you want to serve today, maybe you didn't know about these opportunities. Well, we have another opportunity that you can take today. Um, by, you can uh, go out today and hang out and pass out on doors these door hangers that we want to get out to thousands of homes all across Tracy, Mountain House, and Lathrop that are telling people about the harvest party that's happening uh, this next Sunday. This would be a simple way that you could serve today or somewhere early this week. And what I want to say today as we launch this is there are hundreds of ways to serve. Maybe you've already noticed that one of our strategic objectives in Breakthrough is to expand our family-oriented community outreach. We're already doing a number of things like our harvest party to connect with people and serve people in our communities. Well, during the three years of breakthrough, we want to take that farther and deeper. Some of you may have also noticed this, that a crucial part of our Breakthrough Spiritual Initiative, you can see this in the Breakthrough brochure, is that we are going to tithe, that is give 10% of whatever comes in through breakthrough to resource various opportunities of service through our life groups here in Tracy Mountain House in Lathrop. In practical terms, that means if we reach our breakthrough goal of $1.5 million, that will be about $50,000 every year to resource community service in addition to the missions giving that we're already doing as a church family, which, by the way, is past $1.2 million over the last 16 years. Now, you may be saying, well, why are we, we doing this? Well, I'm going to give you, for maybe the, it's the first time here at Southwinds, a saying that we want to have become part of Southwind's culture and convictions, and it's this. We believe good deeds create goodwill, which opens the door for the good news. And so we're going to be serving other people in practical ways to show them Christ's love for them in hope that we can share the gospel, which is the greatest way to serve others. Now, what would that look like? Well, 
It'll look different for different people. And so you can pray and ask God how he wants you to get involved. We're going to be relying on you to come up with a number of ideas. But let me just mention some possibilities. You may feel called to a particular project that serves one of our area schools. And we've already been in conversation with the school district looking for ways that we can help. Maybe it's something that involves a particular neighborhood. Maybe it's about a particular family. You may know a family in need, maybe an elderly person that needs work on their home, maybe painting or maybe replacing a porch that's falling down, whatever it is. Maybe we as a church can resource the supplies and you can be part of a team that supplies the labor to do the work that needs to be done that that family can't do. This summer, uh, we participated, a few of us here at Southman's, in an outreach that goes on all across California for a number of years now called Feeding Those Who Feed Us. This is an outreach that seeks to minister to the needs physically and spiritually of migrant workers and residents of impoverished communities, uh, particularly or primarily in the San Joaquin Valley. At more than 20 California migrant centers, low-income communities close, food gets distributed, backpacks, school supplies gets given to children, and every year people meet Jesus for the first time. And there are opportunities not far from us to participate We are working on a partnership with another church in Tracy. I can't give specifics right now because some things aren't nailed down. But we believe that this partnership is going to multiply our connections to some neighborhoods that need serving. And we'll get you that information as soon as we have it specific. We hope to continue to engage in different ways, working with retirement, assisted living centers. We've also had some conversations with Tracy PD about partnering with them on various projects. We will continue ministries that we have ongoing, working with group homes. We're looking into projects that will involve beautification of city parks or graffiti cleaning and removal. I mean, it just goes on and on. And if you begin to look around and see needs, maybe God's going to speak to you and tell you, this is where I want you to get involved. This is where I want you to serve. Along with this, let me recognize that some of us may in fulfilling this mandate, be engaged in more private ways of serving, ways that no one may know. And that, too, is part of what Jesus calls us to. Some of those ways may not cost anything because not everything takes money. It may be also that your primary call, God's call in your life, is to serve at Southwinds. And every week we have opportunities here to humble ourselves and serve others around us, working with children to leading youth to serving in different ministries, men's and women's ministries, I mean, on and on and on. But here's the question that I want to leave you with. The question I would like you to respond to, where is my serving breakthrough? Where is my serving breakthrough? There are many examples, far more than I've already mentioned, but I think more than we need examples today, I think we need to make decisions. We have heard Jesus' call to serve. We need to respond. Some of us need to set aside excuses and start getting our hands dirty. We need to start loving others more than we love ourselves. And that means getting off a ladder. It means becoming a bench person. Or if you prefer the metaphor of the towel, it means wrapping a towel around your waist and getting down on your knees. But whatever it is, 
you have to decide. I mean, you have to decide. Do I want to break through to service? Or do I want to spend my life climbing a ladder? Where is my spiritual breakthrough?